Heavenly Father, we just thank you for drawing us here, for just bringing us to you, Lord, for the reason why we are here, to seek after our Lord, our Savior, our God, to open our hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say and what you want to uh, move in our hearts, move in our minds, and bring forth in our actions, Lord, that we would be more like you, that we would draw closer to you. I just thank you for your love, your continued grace, as we sang these songs of just praise and worship to you, Lord. It just opens our heart. And as we step in, Lord, may we hear from you, not from me, but hear from you, Lord. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts that we sit before you right now and hear what the Spirit has to say. And we just thank you for this night, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, the gospel. The gospel is something that we hear, we've heard of, we sing about, we study, we pray. And it's, it's really tells us about life. It's about hope. It's about peace. And really, during this time, I mean, these are really interesting times that we're going through right now so much change so much that is going on and if there's a time that we need life and hope and peace it is now right who would have thought we would be hearing of wars or russia and ukraine you know everybody thought maybe this is the start of world war three and then we hear of hamas attacking israel and retaliation And who would have ever thought you would hear almost, I mean, it just reminded me of so much of of Esther, of we're going out and saying, on this day, we're going to attack Israel. And it was followed by so many people. I mean, just think about it. It was like Old Testament stuff going on. And that's the world we're living in today. That's the world that that we're dealing with. And it, it's, it's hard to believe at times. But even on the flip side of that, for ourselves, here on, on our island, dealing with the fires, dealing with the loss of home, dealing with the loss of business and work, possibly, and the pressures of all that. And even if I... I we went out and got a cup of coffee together and, and said, hey, I won't say anything to anybody, but share with me what is going on in your life. I mean, my wife and I, we just got back. We're dealing with an elderly mother-in-law, mother, and what that entails. You know, it might be a marriage. It might be relationships. It might be a job or a loss of job. There is so much that is going on in this world today that really doesn't lend itself towards life and hope and peace. Who would have thought that as a nation, for what I know of, we are no longer truly a Christian nation. Most of our kids and the kids of this society today have turned their back on Christianity, have walked away, have um, looked to Google, looked to the internet 
for their answers and their solutions. And even worse than that, not just our kids, but society, it seems to be the answer for us today is to pull out a gun to solve our problems. To take a shot instead. And that's the world we currently live in. And that's the world that if we are going to have the gospel and the good news, it has to make sense in this world. It has to be real. It has to have a purpose beyond what maybe most of you guys grew up with, that I grew up with. You hear about it. Hey, do's and don'ts. But was it real? We didn't see it in people's lives. We don't see a change in anybody. They call themselves a Christian, but their lives aren't reflecting the light of Christ. And so what what I really wanted to do tonight is go through and say, what is the path to lead the truth? What does the Bible have to talk about life and hope and peace? And hopefully it's not in such a way that it's just mumble-jumble to you, that it's just words, but it's true and it becomes real and it's something that may challenge you to the way you see it and the way you want to live. And so how do we really find life and hope and peace in this world that is really messed up? And so the title of my message is the counterintuitive path to life, hope, and peace. There was a man many years ago. His name, Giovanni. He was called John, right? Trans- translates to John. Um, he was named after John the Baptist. But his father didn't like that name, and he changed it. He changed it to Francisco, the little Frenchman. And this guy, he would have everything you would think that would bring life and hope and peace. He came from a wealthy background. He inherited a lot of money. He lived a very carefree life. He could do whatever he wants or wanted to do. He had material things at his disposal. And his life in our mind, or maybe today's world, was very amazing, was, was just what people were shooting for, what they think it should be. And he lived this high life, but what he found was that it brought about emptiness in him. And it really didn't give him a purpose in life. So he decided to do this really uh, crazy thing. He heard the words of an itinerary preacher who lived roughly 1,200 years before he did. And that man was Jesus. And as he read the words, he thought, this is so radical. But, bef- but I have all this money and material things. I've got wealth and success. I got it all. But I'm empty inside. So I'm going to take the words of this preacher, this truth, and I'm going to follow it. I'm going to follow the words of Christ. Literally, and he left everything that he had. 
And he followed the words of Christ. And as he went forward, he got together a small band of people and challenged them and said, will you leave everything with me? Why don't we try this out as an experiment? Let's just radically love people. Let's not worry about the material things. Let's just go after it. And that's what they did. And that was almost a thousand years ago. And this little group, which still goes on today, and they live by this model, this prayer that he wrote. As I told you, his name was Francisco when he first started. But as he became more famous, his name, and he became known by Francis. And this is a prayer, the prayer that he lived by. And it goes, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, Joy, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek. And listen to that, that counterintuitive thought. Great, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To love as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. That's very counterintuitive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. The Franciscans have been doing this for years, thousands of years, helping the poor, living out this prayer. And you know, in overall, we might not agree everything the Franciscans are doing, but they have reached millions and millions of people. They have brought about an experience in life that has impacted them in such a way that money can't buy. And as you read that, I thought, so where, how did he come up with this? How does he come up with this idea? And I know, right? We read the Bible. We got that from Jesus. That's, that's where it is. But how does this really work? How does that work for you and me today in this environment, in this culture? And that's the question. Secular scholars say that the Apostle Paul was probably the greatest mind of the first century. He was from Tarsus, which was a nice town, right? He was a Roman citizen, which if we read the Bible, that was a big thing. He didn't pay for it. He was born into it. He had wealth. He was the rising star of Rabbi Gamaliel. But his life wasn't making any sense. And he was trying so hard, so hard to do things, so hard to be good, so hard to be what he thought God wanted him to be because of his upbringing. 
And then he encountered the living Christ. And he realized he had to die. He needed to stop trying to stop working, to stop attempting, to stop trying to prove and pose. And in the midst of the world that he lived in, and if you guys study the Bible, especially in those times, you know, we think it's bad now. Those times were brutal. I mean, very brutal. In church history, Rome, you know, was all about power, was all about oppression, was all about, I'm better than you are. I've beaten you down, and it was really bad. It was a culture that if you study and you looked at, the Greeks had, you know, gods on every corner. I mean, we've, we, if you read through the Bible, you hear about that in one of Paul's um, letters, right? The, the unknown God. They had gods on every corner. And there was immorality there. There were prostitutes at the temple. There was slavery which made up most of the population. People were just oppressed. There was, you know, pornography beyond what we can even think of today. There was injustice. There was greed. There was power. That's what ruled. People were crushed at that time. Women had nothing. They were not, I mean, essentially nothing in society. And in the midst of that, this brilliant intellect, said these words, and it's Galatians 2.20, and that's going to be our main verse for today. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And what he's saying as we listen to the word, I am crucified with Christ. I have to die. I have to die to my agenda, to my selfishness, to my things that I want, my demands. I have to die to those. And as Francis picked up and put it in his prayer, right? He said, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. It's in the dying. So the pathway to the deepest relationships, peace that never leaves, and hope that never fades, actually begins with death. Because where there is no death, there can be no resurrection. I want you guys to think about that. Because where there is no death, there is no resurrection. So in one sentence, Apostle Paul said, this is how it works. And what we want to do tonight is kind of step back and, and say, how does this play out in our life? How does this work for us? And so what I'm going to bring forth is basically four questions that we're going to go through to help us on this pathway. And the first question is, how did we get here? How did we get in the situation that we're in? 
this world that is that messed up, that there's chaos out in the world, and actually there's chaos in our own life. There's a lot happening. And I want to tell you, within this world, this world that God created, this world, and the way it is today, is not the world God created. The eternal creator of all things, who spoke the world into existence in Genesis, and created an absolute perfect world. And he created human beings and he placed them in this perfect world. The ecosystem was perfect. The weather was perfect. No hurricanes, no tsunamis, no earthquakes, no fires. There was no death, there was no pain, there was no sorrow, there was no conflict. There was no wars. There was God and the humans he created in perfect fellowship. And that's where it was created. That's where it starts. But God in this perfect world that he made wanted to have a real relationship, wanted to have love. And in order to have love, there has to be a choice. He didn't create robots where he said, you do this and that's what you did and you do that. No. What he did was create this real authentic relationship with him. That's what truly he wanted. Because what he had to have is people who had the freedom to say yes or no. To have the ability to make a moral choice and that freedom to say yes or no. And in the end, that's what we chose, right? So there's this great price of freedom that mankind said, God, I don't want you. And as we think about that, It's not just Adam and Eve. It's in our life too. It's part of our character also. Right? We say we want to do our own thing. We know best. We want to do it our way. And so the great price of this freedom, as we said to God, I don't want you. What's the fall? All right? As we've decided we're going to do it our way, we're going to do it the way we want to, and this fall, what the theologians call the fall, or sin coming into the world, it also even created almost like a cancer for this world, this earth that we, we even live in, right? The Bible tells us that even the world groans, And was impacted by this fall. So this fall impacted by separating us from God. And separating us from each other. And actually separating ourselves from ourselves. 
Because there are so many people who don't even like themselves. And that has come about because of the pretending, the posing that goes on, and they knowing who they are. And the scripture, right, continues to tell us about all of that in the fall. So how did we get here? It's just, just, it's such a big thing that we've chosen to do, to say, I want to do what I want to do. And now there's this tremendous need. And we are now saying, if God, if you really care, now we're going to throw it back on God. God, if you really care, if you really care about us, if you're really a good God, because if this world was created by God, he doesn't look like a very good God. He doesn't look like a very loving God. He looks like a very mean God. See, but God didn't mess it up. It's the choices that were made, and we messed it up. But He cares. Which then brings us to the second question Where is God in the chaos? Where is God? when things are falling apart, when this world is so messed up. Not just in the suffering that's happening around the world, but in our own lives, as things are going. Where is God in this chaos? And here is the message of the gospel. The gospel is about a divine intervention. Have you guys ever heard of an intervention? Have you ever experienced an intervention or took part with them? Interventions are, and I've heard of it more recently, that when you have these friends or a relative that are either crack addicts, sex addicts, alcoholics, prescription druggers, a cocaine addiction... Shopping addiction. Interventions are people are living in destructive ways that are killing them and ruining everything around them and everyone around them. And as you watch the devastation and the things that are going on in their lives, sooner or later someone comes to the point and says, I'm not going to play this game anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. And they have to get people together. They get friends and family. And they kind of set up these little meetings. And it's best to have a, a helper, maybe a professional to help you out and set this up. And a lot of times you have to trick the person to come in. You have to, in essence... Woo them into a, a, this environment. And basically, it comes out and says, we love you, but you have a big problem. Whether it's this alcoholism, whether it's drug addiction, it's the pornography. But we refuse 
to go along with this any longer. We are intervening now and want you to know that there is hope and there is a path that you can take. But we won't support this any longer. That's what an intervention is. And what you see in the gospel is God looking down from heaven. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, seeing all the people of all time simultaneously in all our needs and seeing the chaos and the destruction both personally and globally. And the son saying, I'll go. I'll do the intervention. I'll go. Let me help them see that they are messed up and they are selfish. And they need to, deci- need to die and re- receive life so they can be re- resurrected. Right? Yeah. Resurrected. And so Jesus came and he did the intervention to rescue us. Right? That's his life mission. It says in Luke 19.10, I came to seek and save those who were lost. That's why I came. That's why I'm here. And so first thing that he offers is life. Because we're on death patterns. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what he wants to give. And if you look at that, you circle the word have because it's present tense. It's as you give your life to him, you then have the moment you believe. In the very next verse It's as life-changing. It goes on and says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's his intention. He's not down on us. He's not angry at us. He's not there ready to wrap your knuckles, slap you on the side of the head. His intervention is not get more religious, get more moral, try harder, pull up your bootstraps. That's not what he is here. An intervention is where he says, you're living this life that doesn't work. It brings death to you and death to others. And I want to give you life. That's what Christ is saying to you. I want to give you a gift. And what we want to learn as as we go through that, that that gift that he went on the cross and he died on the cross for you, for me, that intervention, and he said, what you can't do for yourself, I'm going to do for you. And he literally paid Right? And that's that word redemption. And that's what that word redemption means. He paid the price we couldn't pay. He gave a free gift to us. But he says, I don't want to just give you life. I want to give you hope. 
And the very last night, he looked into his disciples' eyes and he said, you can see the fear in their eyes. And they had seen him feed the poor. They'd seen him raise people from the dead. And they knew he was the Messiah, but they couldn't figure it out because he kept talking. Hey, you're going to check out. You keep telling me you're going to leave. How does this work? And he said to them in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And listen to this carefully. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will also be. He's there. He is not down on you, right? He's not here and saying, get more moral. I want you to change your morality. He's saying, I want a relationship with you. And that is the important point. I want a relationship with you. It's not about what you do. It's about this relationship of what he has done for us. When the relationship's right, the morality is always going to change. But he says, you need hope. That hope of when things are falling apart, you know where you're going to go. When you feel like this is it, you know there's a place that is there for you that he has set for you, that he has for you. You need hope when life doesn't work because there there will come a day because the survey says we all are going to die at some point and we need hope knowing that there is a future for us. And then knowing that we live in this fallen world, we need peace, right? We're anxious. Where am I going to get enough money? I mean, I come home. I come home from my, my, uh, my uh, vacation, and I come home to two cars broken. Um, well, how are the kids going to get to work? How do we fix these things? How do we do this? You know, just things around the house, things that you've got to do. And you want peace, but you're anxious about my job, about my work. What are you going to do tomorrow? And then he tells us, let not, let not your heart be troubled. And he says, I want to give you peace, right? These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do we take that as real? That's true, right? We go back to where we started of the coup. Is he God or are we? The peace that I have in, in, is I want to be in control, right? I, 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 I want to take care of everything. But he's saying, 
hey, don't worry about these things. I will take care of it. I created the universe. I have the ability. Through this bad stuff, I can make something good. I want a relationship with you. And I will do an intervention. And we will do life together. And I want to love you. And get that message. Is he wants to love you. And that's the message of the gospel. And the third thing we see. Is with all this that we have just seen. And him talking about. What gives Jesus the right to make this outlandish offer? Don't other religions offer about peace and life and hope? What makes his real? What makes his any different? Why should I trust him? I mean, I think we've all been challenged with that question. And so what I want to just say has four different things that I want to offer to you. First, it's his life. Sinless, revealing God's character. If we could find fault, which we often try to do, and assign to him. If his enemies could find fault, because that's what the Jewish leaders were trying to do. But no one was able to, even after all this time, thousands of years ago, and they're still trying to find fault. Because if you can find one fault, all his claims go out the window, right? In Second Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Him who knew no sin. Him who, had, who is the character of God. But he, what would Jesus... In the end, he says, look, here's the deal. I have come to do an intervention. And you have death. But you want to see what life looks like? I feed the poor. The hungry. I feed the hungry. See this prostitute? I say to her, go and sin no more. The woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. This widow who has lost her son, I raise him from the dead. These religious people who are coming off as pious, as having their own purpose, I say, quit pretending. Quit posturing. Quit being a hypocrite. His life, A.D., B.C., it marks time. It marks our world. He changed our world. That is who we are following after. The second thing we see is his death. In Colossians 2, it's clear 
that when he died, he didn't just physically die, but because he was God, fully God, and fully man, being a man, he would die, right? But being God, he became our perfect sacrifice, that sacrifice we could never provide. And he covered our sins. He broke the penalty of sin. He conquered death and destroyed the works of the evil one. So we see it in his life, in his death. And third, we see it in his resurrection. As we read the book of Acts in chapters 1 and 2. right? He's coming across and, and, and he's not just saying these, this weird philosophy of, hey, this dreamer or different people who have come through. He makes some really outrageous claims. Right? He's saying, I'm the new way to God. I am the savior of the world. I am truth incarnate. And there is no other way but by me. So in hearing that, we either got to think he's right, wrong, or maybe he's a little loony. But you can't look at that and look at the evidence. And if there's anything wrong that you can catch, you can't trust him. You can't believe what he has to say. But the resurrection proves that. All that he says and all that he has done is true. God visited the planet. You talk about that intervention. Here's the intervention. He visited the planet, suffered, and lived this perfect life for you personally. For me. 500 wisdom. Over 500 witnesses, over 40 days, they could touch him, they ate with him. And really, that's the reason why we're even sitting in this room right here, why you're online right now. It's because of him and what he has brought to us. For 40 days, witnesses have seen him. Their lives have been completely changed. But the tragedy of today is that we've made it religion. We made it about stuff. Because in the end, the final point, it's our union with him. And that's what God really wanted in the end. That's the whole reason for the intervention is that we would be in union, in communion with him. You don't do an intervention to end up and say, hey, check out this treatment center. Check out this 12 steps. You know, I go to the treatment center Wednesdays and Sundays. I go to the treatment center, and and, and I just love this treatment center. Have you been to a treatment center? You should come to my treatment center. This is the greatest place, this treatment center. You go to an intervention or an intervention takes place, it's that that person would get whole and that you would reestablish that person and you would love them and connect with them again and that you would have this relationship with them. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're trying to reestablish. And that's what God has done in this intervention 
that he has for us. And that's, again, the tragedy of today. And why I think a lot of young kids are opting out of Christianity. Is that we've made it so much about doing and being. Versus this relationship that he has come here for. He wants to be in union with us, in relationship with him, right? That's how he wants us to do life. And we said, as Paul said, I am crucified. I gotta die. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. How? Christ lives in me. So how does this work? How does this go on? Apostle Paul then goes on, who wrote this counterintuitive means to this life and hope and peace. In 2 Corinthians, he tells us, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one died for all. And that one was Jesus, right? And here's the result. Therefore, all have died. That's the result. Why? And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who their sake died and was raised. Do you feel the dying in there? Do you feel the giving over? It's not about us. It's not about you. Can you just imagine living this life, living a life that's not about you? It's not about your dreams. It's not about your goals. What can I get? Who can I impress? He goes on there in in verse 17 and says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. He wants the old to die. And he wants you to allow his spirit to enter you so that you can have life and take up residence in you and make a brand new you. That's what he wants. And I'm hoping that's what we all want. That little word in Christ, it happens, or in him, it happens more than 200 times in the New, New Testament. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The good news isn't about if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you're going to do okay. Because we have all a tendency to say, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. We remember those more. No, it says, God says, I am holy, I am pure. One single bad deed, one single thought, because I am absolute pure in my holiness, you can't have a relationship. I don't want you to try to get better, to prove, to perform. I want you to be connected with me. And I will do for you what you can never do for yourself. So here's the intervention. The intervention is the very life of Jesus. Fully man, fully God, who died 
and says when he died, when a person by faith trusts in him, you die with him and you are buried with him so you can be resurrected with him. The gospel is not becoming religious about reading the Bible, going on a mission trip, doing service, giving money. It's about faith in him and what he has done that we can turn from our sins and be united with him. It's that moment, a specific space-time moment in history when you hear and understand that God, in the person of Jesus Christ, died for your sins, rose from the dead, and offers you new life. Free of charge that you can never do this on your own. And you turn from your sins and say, I can't live my life this way. I can't live a life, but I want you, but I want to be connected to you. And you say, whoever believes in you could be connected with you, and I want to be in union with you. See, the scriptures are pretty clear in 1 John. It tells us, he who has a son has life. He that does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you that you who believe in my name, in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Romans 8.11 tells us, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give, you, give life to your mortal, mortal, mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. You can have life. And that's what he wants to give. That's why he came. That's the purpose of the intervention. He wants to have relationship with you. So when we have a relationship with him, all that is true about Christ is now true about us. The Spirit of God now lives within us. We've been atoned for. We've been forgiven. The Spirit of God enters us, and He begins to form the new life of Christ in you. He seals you with His Spirit, and He takes you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He breaks the power of sin and death and that can never reign over you again, the moment you die, you will be rushed, ushered into the very presence of God forever and ever. That's why he came. That's the good news. You are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, look, you're living. But it's not you, it's Christ in you. And that's the message and the offer being made so when in the end i have this one question that i challenge all of you because that's the way i am 
Do you have the Son? And I think that's the critical question. Do you have the Son of God living in you? If you do, you have eternal life. If you do not, you do not have life. And I didn't say, do you go to church? Are you moral? Do you read your Bible? Do you give? All these things are good, but they do not have the ability to give you life. And just like when you get married and make this major union in your life, the whole purpose of that is for a new pathway, a new way of life, as you too become one flesh. It's not to say, on this day, I married my wife, and for this day, we're going to do a new thing. But tomorrow, I'm going to do my thing again. It's a commitment to say, I want to do this new way of life. I want this new path. I want to commit to this new way of life. And so it brings us to our fourth and final question. What's the counterintuitive path that brings life and hope and peace? And it's one of the verses that I tend to bring up a lot, and I'm going to bring it up again. Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, right? In light of all that he's done, And he's going to now tell us what's the pathway. And we're going to get right back to St. Francis. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable to God. Do you feel the dying? Which is your reasonable service. Which only makes sense. In light of all that he has done. This should be a natural response. So we got to learn. We got to die. You got to die to saying, I want to do it my way. We got to go. God, not my will, but your will be done. Unless, Unless a grain of wheat falls onto the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it brings forth fruit. You got to die. So as we come and we close, hopefully I'm going to (laughs) close. In all of this, right, we got to make a choice. And we got to choose We're so busy. We're solely in control of our own thing, doing our own thing. We pose. We present ourselves. All in an energy to get love and to look like something before people. And all the while, Jesus, the one who came and did the great intervention in our lives, is sitting back and saying, I have watched this movie before a lot of times. And there's not a happy ending coming. There's not a happy ending in this life. And there's a tragic ending. 
in the next life? Will you allow me to forgive you and do for you what you cannot, you can never do for yourself? And if you allow me to come into your life, and after I do, will you slide over and let me drive? And I will tell you this, if I loved you enough to die for you, where I'm going to drive you, drive this car, it's going to be better than you can ever dream. The roads are not always going to be smooth. The turns that I take, you might not agree with all the time. But if you listen to what I have to say, and you'll do some counterintuitive things, like give, and you will receive. Like love, when that person doesn't deserve it. And wow, for some reason, you get love back. You'll live the kind of life that your friends or your kids or those who are watching will say, hey, that's what I want to be. That's what I want to look like. That you can say, Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's the counterintuitive life that he has given us. Christ has given us this intervention and he's given us two options option a remain in denial i'm okay i'm doing all right i'm doing my own thing i don't have any problems or option b i am sick and tired of living this way i need life i need hope i need peace and i can't get it for myself I'm going to die to my way and I'm going to ask God to come into my life so I can follow him. Those are our choices. God has come to show you a pathway through the gospel, through the good news, this intervention that he has for us, for this new pathway for life, hope, and peace in this crazy world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how real, how vibrant it is to say all that you have done for us, for the life you have given us, for the challenge that you put onto us to say, make a choice. Do you choose to love me or do you choose to continue to do it your own way? You stand at the door and knock to each and every one of us, to those even who say they know you but have never died. I ask, Lord, that tonight they would choose to die to themselves and allow you to intervene in their life, that they would accept the awesome gift of free gift of life with you allow the holy spirit to guide and lead and that we would have this pathway of life and hope and peace 
always before us, Lord, because it's what you want. The intervention has been Union with you is what you want. We love you, Lord, and we just lift this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.